Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Keep standing while we pray. Lord, we just thank you for this scripture. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for the example of Joseph specifically in this, in this story and how he handled this situation, Lord, and how he responded to your invitation. I pray that we could learn from him this morning. I pray that your word would speak to us powerfully. I pray that we could lay aside uh, distractions as we seek to meditate and reflect on what your word is telling us by your spirit this morning. Help us to do that. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So the reason why the church for 2,000 years has made a big deal of celebrating Jesus' first coming or arrival or advent, which is what the word means, is because he told us he is coming again. And so the reason we regularly celebrate Jesus' first advent is to prepare ourselves for his second one. For millennia, we have been waiting for this second advent. And we continue to wait. You know, that's why the practices surrounding the celebration of Advent center around eager anticipation. Traditionally, there are four Sundays in Advent, each with a different theme. First, we have hope, and then peace, joy, and finally, love. And the reason why there is a theme of hope is that the world is not right. That all creation, as Paul says in Romans 8, is groaning, waiting that second advent of Jesus when he sets all things right. Paul says that through the Spirit, we also, we also groan as we wait for the redemption of our body, this body that breaks down, this body that gets cancer, this body that dies. And then he says, 
that in this hope we were saved. And so during the Advent season, for four weeks, we practice in miniature what the church has been doing for the last 2,000 years. Waiting for our hope with patience. And so for the next four weeks for us, we're going to meditate on four snapshots of Jesus' first Advent, centering on four different stories. First, today, we'll take a look at Joseph. Next week, we'll look at the shepherds. The third week, we'll look at Mary. And finally, Simeon and Anna. Our series is called Behold, because what ties all of these stories together is how meticulously involved God is. Through these stories, we are reminded to stop and look at what God has done. Israel had been longing for her Messiah for centuries, but they didn't know exactly how or when he would finally arrive. And even when he did, most of them missed it. And so in each of these stories, this this simple word, behold, as you heard twice this morning, it just means look, see, stop, stare. It appears six times in Matthew's account of Jesus' first coming and then eight times in Luke's. You know, we are doing people. That's usually where we derive our identity and purpose from. You know, when you meet someone, you say, hi, nice to meet you. What do you do? We're wired that way. But in Scripture, we're not called primarily to be doing people, but remembering people. We're not asked first to do anything. Instead, we're asked to behold something, to remember what God has already done. Don't get me wrong, the doing comes. But it's not our ultimate identity or purpose anymore. And so as we'll see today, any doing that God has for us is rooted in who He is. What He's done. And who we are in Him. This is why this month, you know, I've invited you all to consider some new practices. You know, not so that you can do more but so that you can behold more of what God has done. But let's look at Joseph. Where was he when he was told to behold? What can we learn from his story? So we'll look at it in three acts. Act one, the backdrop. Act two, the invitation. And act three, the choice. So looking at act one, In verses 18 and 19, we find the backdrop. And what is it for Joseph? As we'll come to see, it's total darkness. Take a look, verse 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her 
quietly. And so, as the audience, we are given information that Joseph doesn't have. First, of course, in verse 18, we have an introduction to what is happening at large. All of this is about the birth of Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Messiah. Christ is just the the Greek word for the Hebrew of Messiah. So it's about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, promised to Israel from ages past. And in the first part of chapter 1, which we didn't read, we are given and told that Jesus has this genealogical, oh my word, genealogical credentials. Okay, Jesus has the credentials to be the Davidic, or from the line of David, the king, Messiah. And so now in this passage, we are given his birth story. Mary and Joseph, like many other Hebrew couples, were betrothed. Now, betrothal in this culture is is only just similar to engagement in our culture. It's, it's similar in that it's the first, it's, it's the step right before marriage. But it's more official. It's, it's more intense. It's, it's more of a commitment. You couldn't break off a betrothal with a text. It required divorce to break this off. And yet, the marriage hadn't been consummated, a.k.a. they hadn't moved in together and they they hadn't had sex. But for all other purposes, they were in a committed legal covenant. They were betrothed. That's why it says, that's why it calls him husband. You know, this, this is a legal covenantal commitment that they're in. So, we cannot miss the intensity of what happens next. Here they are, a happily betrothed Jewish couple eagerly preparing for the big day. Joseph, whom you might remember, was a carpenter. He would have been painstakingly and lovingly crafting a home for them. Their preparations would culminate in a week-long party with their whole community, family, friends, neighbors, And only then would Joseph bring Mary into this new home where they could finally consummate their marriage. But before that day arrives, Joseph finds out the unthinkable. Mary is pregnant. We don't know how he found out, whether she told him in private or she started showing or whatnot. We just know he found out. And remember, Joseph doesn't know what we know yet. We know from verse 18, she was with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph doesn't know that. We are told explicitly that it's from the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't know it yet. All he knows is that the woman he loves, the woman he has been preparing a house for, the woman that he thought he would have children and grandchildren with is pregnant, and it's not his baby. Have you ever had the worst day of your life? Have you ever felt that God was the architect of the worst day of your life? 
Because for Joseph, God single-handedly orchestrated the worst day of his life. And we aren't told Joseph's feelings, just his actions. But his actions display him to be a man of deep character. He clearly loved Mary, but he also loved God. And with the Mosaic law as clear as it is regarding matters of sexual infidelity, Joseph felt he had no choice but to end this relationship. And if she actually did what he assumed she did, remember, we're privy to information that he doesn't have, then he has legal and even scriptural grounds to have her arrested and potentially executed. But that's not what he does. Instead, he chooses a law-abiding, yet extraordinarily gracious path of a quiet, private divorce. What happened after that to Mary was not his problem. She clearly wasn't the woman he thought she was. This is the backdrop. For Joseph, this, this is the worst day of his life. This is total darkness. He is between a rock and a hard place. He loves Mary and he loves God. He clearly can't have both. And so he does the smartest thing anyone can do who is in such a predicament. He goes to bed. And thus concludes Act 1. Opening up to Act 2, we have the invitation. And what we'll find here is Joseph is invited and in, he's given an invitation to fear God over himself and anyone else. Look at verses 20 and 21. It says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So act two. Joseph, after enduring the worst day of his life, goes to bed shocked, angry, confused, and conflicted. And it's in the midst of that moment Joseph's darkest night, and I can't imagine he was sleeping very well, that God sends an angelic messenger to loop him into the plan. Now, this is the first of four dreams that Joseph has throughout the story in Matthew. And it's therefore clear that God is intimately involved in this whole operation. And he tells him the information that up until this point, only we know. Mary did nothing wrong. Not only did she do nothing wrong, God has chosen her and you, Joseph, to participate in bringing this long-awaited, long-prayed-for, long-hoped-for Messiah into the world. Talk about a perspective shift. It turns out that the worst moment of Joseph's life has indeed been engineered by God to achieve 
the salvation of the world. Joseph is looped in and invited into something bigger than the life he expected. You know, he is invited to rethink what sort of impact he could make for God's purposes and glory. And all he wanted, all he thought he was going to get was a normal life. Get married, have children, worship God, do good work. But God had another plan. He had a plan to rearrange Joseph's plans. And so the question is, will Joseph say yes to God's plan, which would include suffering, fleeing the country, relocating from his community, and poverty? There's a passage in W.H. Auden's Christmas Oratorio called The Temptation of Joseph. And it captures some of the angst that Joseph might have been experiencing as he contemplated God's unusual invitation. And it's a little bit of a modern adaptation. So when it talks about his pants being cleaned and pressed, like this is a little bit modern. So, yeah, but listen. Joseph says, my shoes were shined, my pants were cleaned and pressed, and I was hurrying to meet my own true love. But a great crowd grew and grew till I could not push my way through because a star had fallen down the street. When they saw who I was, the police tried to do their best. This is a chorus of people. Joseph, you have heard what Mary says occurred. Yes, it may be so. Is it likely? No. Joseph, the bar was gay, the lighting well-designed, and I was sitting down to wait my own true love. A voice I'd heard before, I think, cried, This is on the house. I drink to him who does not know it is too late. When I asked for the time, everyone was very kind. Chorus. Mary may be pure, but Joseph, are you sure? How is one to tell? Suppose, for instance, well, Joseph, through cracks up ladders into waters deep, I squeezed, I climbed, I swam to save my own true love. Under a dead apple tree, I saw an ass. When it saw me, it brayed. A hermit sat in the mouth of a cave. When I asked him the way, he pretended to be asleep. Chorus. Maybe, maybe not. But Joseph, you know what your world, of course, will say about you anyway. Joseph. Where are you, Father? Where? Caught in the jealous trap of an empty house, I hear, as I sit alone in the dark, everything, everything. The drip of the bathroom tap, the creak of the sofa spring, the wind in the air shaft, all making the same remark stupidly, stupidly, over and over again. Father, what have I done? Answer me, Father. How can I answer the tactless wall or the pompous furniture now? Answer them. Gabriel, no, you must. Joseph, how then am I to know, Father, that you are just? Give me one reason. Gabriel, no. Joseph, all I ask is one important and elegant proof 
that what my love had done was really at your will and that your will is love. Gabriel, no, you must believe. Be silent and sit still. So God doesn't necessarily give Joseph all the answers he wants. Instead, Joseph is invited to take God at his word. The angel says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. For Joseph, there was probably a lot of fear at play. You know, fear of what the community would do to Mary if they found out. Fear of disappointing God. Fear of the unknown future that awaited both of them. But what Joseph is invited to is to fear God over everything. His own understanding, his own emotions, his community, himself. If Joseph chooses to fear God, that is, to elevate God's opinions over everything and everyone else, then he is invited into participation in what God is doing in the world. It's like God tells Joseph, look, behold, look at what I am doing. And also, by the way, I'm doing it with your help. You get to play an important part. This is the way it is with God. His behold always has an invitation attached. And what does Joseph choose? Act 3, the choice. Look at verses 22 to 25. Joseph is given the choice to trust or not. 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did, as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, even though it feels a little bit like God is micromanaging this whole operation, sending angels, sending dreams, making sure every part goes as planned, we should not take to mean that God is not a planner. As evidenced by the prophet Isaiah foretelling this exact situation 700 years prior, Part of how God works in the world is to partner with human people. His mighty actions in human history always welcome and invite human partnership. Joseph said yes. And because of Joseph's yes, God used him. And how did he use him? Mary was kept safe. Because of Joseph's yes, Jesus was protected from, as you'll, you could see if you kept reading through chapter 2, from a deranged and jealous king, Herod. 
Because of Joseph's yes, God's plan of salvation for the entire world moved forward seamlessly. And so again, we're not told his feelings. We're just told his actions. He woke up from what the day before was the darkest moment of his life, and he did it. All of it. In the, in the thick of the most jarring and confusing moment of his life, Joseph beheld the mighty acts of God, and then he received an invitation to participate in it. And he decided to take God at his word. If you haven't had a worst day or season of your life, you will. Perhaps you're in that season now. You know, I love how God approached Joseph. It was literally when Joseph could not do anything to fix his situation. He had done all the thinking he could. He had done the pros and cons lists. He was probably exhausted from overthinking and analyzing the situation, both externally and in his own heart. Then he collapses and falls asleep. And that's when God showed him what God was up to. He was invited. He was, he was invited to behold what God was up to. Look, Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I did this. And he was invited to participate in it. If you're in a season like that now, I want to encourage you and invite you to stop trying to think your way through it. Instead, ask God what he wants to show you. Remember, the people of God are not primarily doing people. We are those who point to and remember God's doings. What has he done for you that you can stare at today? It could be the capital A action that God has done in Christ. Or the countless small a actions that God has done in your life. Showing you his faithfulness and favor. Notice in verse 21 the roles that are laid out. It says, Mary will bear a son. And you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. Remember that you're not the Savior. Only Jesus is. God's going to invite you to participate, but your role is, and your role is important, but it is always to support and point to what Jesus has already done. And as you behold and remember what God has done, he will gently invite you to join him in renewing this broken world. To participate with him. Don't jump straight to action unless you are receiving his invitation. Why? Because he does not want you to do anything apart from his presence with you. But when he issues the invitation, be sure to take him at his word. And trust him at his word, just like Joseph did. Let's pray.